have your Bibles this morning, take them and open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament, fifth book of the Bible, kind of the beginning of the Bible. Uh, a couple of weeks ago as I was teaching, uh, actually taught from there. This is not related to that, just kind of reminded me of that when I was studying that a few weeks ago, uh, about what today was going to be, because we, as we do this each time that we do a celebration Sunday, I, we teach either on baptism, uh, the Lord's Supper, parenting, or the whole thing of membership and as well. We're going to teach on those things because we don't, you know, teach on it that often. And so we try to give some teaching on that from Scripture as well. So today is an opportunity to, to teach about parenting. And today's message is called The Parent's Priority. And, and today what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, what is the main uh, couple of questions that every parent should ask. And the two questions are what is the main goal of a parent and what's the main role of a parent. Scripture tells us that because I, I know about this. I was there when both of my kids were born, uh, actually in the room with my wife. I didn't have a lot to do with it other than just sit there and hold her hand, let her scream at me a lot. Uh, you've never done that, right? None of you guys. Uh, and uh, I was, I was kind of in the same general area when both of my grandkids were born. And uh, I was either there right around the time or right afterwards as well. I've been there with a lot of times with families uh, right around the time when their kids are born over the last 30 years of ministry. And one of the things I found out and, and I've never seen happen is when the child uh, is born, uh, while the people are in the hospital, I have never seen a hospital give uh, the parents a manual with the child. You know, how to raise this child. You know, what are you supposed to do with the child? And I mean, they give you, might give you some paperwork and some different things, but there's not a lot of instructions with the child. And so where do we get our instructions and learn how to uh, parent? Well, we sometimes learn it from TV. We learn it from books. We learn it from movies, from experts. Uh, most likely, we learn it from a family we grew up in. We kind of copy what we learned. Where did they learn it from? The people that they learned. And so, you know, we have all these different ideas you know, based upon whether your parents are, and this is not a judgment call, whether your parents are good parents or not as good parents. You know, sometimes we don't really understand a lot of things. So this morning, I just want to give you some very simple instructions about what Scripture says in regard to the whole role and the whole goal of parenting. What is the main goal of a parent? Well, I believe Scripture tells us clearly that the main goal of a parent is this. The main goal of parenting is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from the parent until it rests totally upon God. To sum all of what Scripture says about parenting, the main goal is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from the parent until it rests totally upon God. You know, for folks who are not Christians, they would probably say to transfer their dependence upon the child from themselves to themselves, to the, to the child that become mature. But I know from Scripture that one of the things that we're to do is we're to become people who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so that's what Scripture tells us. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verses 1 and 2, we read these, ver- we read these words. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And then it says, It's so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Right before this passage in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, anybody know what happened there, what big deal is in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy? It's called the Ten Suggestions. No, it's called the Ten Commandments. And God gives them the Ten Commandments. And as they give, their, give them the Ten Commandments, what it is, He's preparing them. He's giving them some instructions about how to live life. And here are some guidelines. Here are some, here are some principles to live life by. And then He tells them in the next chapter, He begins to talk about some specific things in regard to some of these areas. And the first thing He talks about is parenting. 
He says that here's some things that I've given you. And not only are you to do them, but you're to give them to your children and their children. You're to pass them down from generation to generation. Matter of fact, in verses 4 and 5, there's, there's, a, there's a thing there that we often, that's referred to in the New Testament, or at least part of it, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. The first part of that is here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says this, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. He said this is the first thing, the highest and most important thing that we can do is love the Lord our God with with our, with our all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your strength. How much of our heart are we to love the Lord our God with? All. That's not hard. And That was a pretty straightforward scripture. All. But can we say truly, any of us that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. It's a process of learning to love and, 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 and giving more and more of ourselves to God. Um, and so the thing is, is so often the problem is, is that if we don't really model that in our lives with our kids, the impression they get is that God is just an add-on, another part of the many things that I do in my life. Matter of fact, I would say that just a little bit of God that we give to our kids and not really modeling that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength is probably dangerous to our kids' health. How many of you last year or sometime this past year got a flu vaccine? Anybody here get a flu vaccine? I did. Why do you get a flu vaccine? To inoculate you from the real thing, right? What do you do when you get a flu vaccine? You know what a flu vaccine is? When they shoot that flu vaccine in your arm or wherever, uh, they give it to you. I'm not going after where that goes. Wherever it goes, you're, what are you getting? You're getting a little bit of the flu. You literally are. They're giving you a little bit of the flu. And so it goes in your body and it works in a such, such a way that inoculates you from the strain, whatever the strains are that they give you. So they give you a little bit to inoculate you from the whole thing. Well, in a real sense, what happens in our life when we get just a little bit of God, he's just a little part of our lives, and we model that for our kids, guess what? Sometimes it inoculates them from the real thing. They think that's all there is in life. It's just, you know, it's God is a Sunday deal. Or God is something we do when we pray at meals. But he really doesn't affect all of our life. And so it says, that's why it says here in Scripture that we're to love the Lord our God, not with just a little bit, but with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. The problem in our culture today is, and I think America is, is, is probably, I don't know if the rest of the world, I don't live in the rest of the world, but I can just tell you about where I live and where you live, is America is a place where we believe for some reason that if we're a good parent, we've come to believe that we have to involve our child's children in everything, give them every opportunity, and they have to be busy, 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 busy all the time, because if we don't, what will happen is they'll miss out on something. The problem is, as adults, mature adults, we understand that we can't do everything. And so our children are running around like crazy people. I mean, I came across a, a couple of weeks ago. I was I was in Peoria, and I'm not going to tell you where and anything, but it was a person who used to come to Great Oaks. And I remember a few years ago, I'd actually baptized this person. And the guy said, to, and I saw him, and I said, you know, I, I mean, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. 
And I remembered, you know, that he was on fire for the Lord when he was baptized just a few years ago. And I remember he was real regular here. And then all of a sudden I remember, you know, you can be, I hate to tell you this, I, this is kind of bad, but we're large enough now, now as a church that I that you can be missing for a while. And unless somebody says to me, hey, have you seen so-and-so? I'm not even sure I'll know that you're not there. I'm sorry. Because there's usually 300 people in this service and 300 people in the other service. And I can't keep up with 600 people. You know, I just really can't. I don't know if you can or not. Maybe you're better than I am. But I, I can't do that. And so they, this person, I just realized when I saw him, I, was going, I haven't seen him in a while. And I asked him, I said, hey, God, you know, you, you were really connected with the church. You were really connected. Your, you know, your kids came here and, uh, and, you know, all this stuff. was. And I said, and I said, what's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. He said, oh. He started going like, you know, I still love God, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, my kids, you know, well, this, this child's involved in this. And he started naming all the stuff their children were involved in. And we just don't have time. You know, you can become so busy. That all, what does it say to your children when you don't have time for going to a place where the kids can be involved in a place where they study God's Word on a regular basis and you're connected with God in a real way on a regular basis? What does it say that I'm too busy? Does it say I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is that what it says to our kids? You see, the problem is, in our culture, we have two, we, ha- we have become, instead of being God-centered parents, which God tells us to be, so many have become child-centered parents. It's all about keeping the kids, you know, it's about, you know, doing this for the kids and doing that for the kids. And we think for some reason that that is, that's the best thing for our kids. But I want to tell you, being a child-centered parent is not biblical. Because ultimately, we miss out on what's the most important thing. And that is helping them to love the Lord, their God, with all their mind, with all their heart, with all their strength. And it starts by me and by you being involved with God in a regular relationship through church, through our regular home, you know, through our home life, and the things that we learn actually being applied to our lives. That is more important than being a child-centered parent. There's a big difference. And I believe the Bible teaches us clearly here about that. Let me, I learned a statistic a few years ago, about two or three years ago, um, about the importance of parental involvement in church. Now, I'm not saying coming to church makes you a Christian. I've, I've told you this before, okay? You can come to a church, you can come and sit in church every week. Just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. You know? i used that before too. But the issue is... The issue is, is it's one part of, of a commitment to a process of growth. And one of the things about the study that was done about parental involvement in church said this about kids. Kids who became active Christ followers of, as adults. First of all, if mom and dad both not just went to church, were involved in, in, in church, and they, they went to church, and, and I'm not talking about coming, sitting on Sunday morning, going home and doing nothing about it. I'm talking about, that's a spectator sport. But I'm talking about people who come, learn the process, and they actually go and become committed to God in, in their life. And so they, they try to practice this. If mom and dad were both those type of persons, active Christ followers, went to church, as adults, 72% of kids will, as adults, attend church. Pretty influential. You didn't think, I mean, those of you who have teenagers think you have no influence whatsoever. But it turns around down the road. And so that's hugely important. Secondly, 
And I hate to tell you this, Mom. This is Father's Day, so this statistic does not look good for you guys. But for moms, if only mom went to church, only 15% of kids will, will go to church as adults. It's better than if neither one, but it's only 15%. But I, you know what I was amazed about is the influence of dad. Still up the next slide. If dad went to church and was involved with a relationship with God, 55% of kids will attend as adults. Fathers, you are hugely influential in your kids' lives spiritually. Do not think that you're not. Too many fathers let the mothers raise the kids spiritually and think that they have no influence. Fathers, if you're doing that, you are doing a disservice to your kids. And statistics show it. And finally, if neither mom nor dad went to church, only 6% of kids will as adults. There's a huge correlation between spiritual influence of parents and involvement as parents and connection with, with uh, later on what happens in life with kids. I mean, it's kind of like this. You know, you, you know these dumb reality shows they have now? They go around people's homes and they have video ta- cameras on their shoulders and they do everything they did. If people were doing that in your home and they videotaped all the stuff you were doing, think about that for a minute. That would be kind of scary, right? What would it say about your heart for God? Because in a sense, that's exactly what your parents, um, what your kids see. That's exactly what your kids see. What reality show people would see with a camera following you around. That's the kind of influence we're talking about here. It says the goal of a parent is to, uh, to ultimately to transfer dependence from the parent when the child is young. These, it was cool this morning to see these, these young children and how they're so uh, dependent upon the parents at this stage. And as they grow older and older and older, become less dependent on parents. And ultimately, our goal is to, is to launch them into the world. Like this last week I did with my, you know, and ultimately, I kind of kind of happened before this, but ultimately in, in our kids' lives is when they become adults. But it's not so they can depend upon themselves, so they can learn dependence upon God. Because that's what Scripture says to us. That's how God designed us, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the goal of parenting. What's the main role of a parent? What's the main role of a parent? What do we do? What is that? How do you, how do you do that? Well, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then it says this, impress them on your children. Not just kind of suggest them to your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What is that saying? It's saying to us, we need to be intentional. We are to, the main role of a parent is to lead your children. I love what the Duke of Windsor said uh, when he came to America a few years ago. He was experiencing walking around and somebody, he, he said something and so people thought he misquoted it. And then when he said it, um, and he said, no, I didn't misquote it. He said this, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. <laughs> Isn't that scary? That was an outside person looking at America. They said, you know, that's what he saw. And the thing is, is so often we think, uh, no, that's not what we're, tr- it's not the kind of impression. That's not godly. 
The main role of a parent is to lead our children, to lead your children. And the way we lead them is intentionally. We have to have a plan, a purpose. We have to go for it. I, I, I was I was sharing in the first service uh, yes, uh, Friday. I was playing in a golf tournament. And it was a great, I thought of this as a great example because it was so stupid what I did. Uh, and I thought I'd just share my fallacies with you. Um, I was in a golf tournament. We were playing on this one hole and we, we got to this hole and it's one of those holes. It's a par five over at Snag Creek. It's got this like, this little chute. And usually par fives, you hit a driver on the first hole if you play golf. Okay. Most par fives, you hit a driver. You want to hit it a long way because it's a long way to the hole. Well, this is a short par five and it's got these woods and it's got this little cutout place up there. And so I was totally uncertain about what to hit because you either got to hit the most terrific drive in the world in exactly the right place or you got to hit a short iron just to a place. And so I was just totally undecided. And I played this place before. It's not like I'd never played it before. And so I get up there and we're standing there. And plus, let me tell you something else. I don't know how these guys, these pro guys play with people watching them. I was thinking about this 22-year-old kid that's, winning, that's leading the U.S. Open right now, Rory McIlroy from Northern Ireland. And I'm going, there's thousands of people are standing right next to him, you know. And he's sitting there acts like he's oblivious to it. Well, there had to be about 20 people standing right here, and I was not oblivious to it. <laughs> and so I get up there, and I'm thinking, and the whole time I'm getting ready to hit my shot, I'd thought about four times about which club to use. Not like I'm that accurate, but I'm thinking, well, at least it, you know, make it somewhat close. And about the time, about halfway through my backswing, I'm going like, is this really the right club? And so what I do is I kind of pull up and I whiff. None of you have ever done that before, I'm sure. You've never whiffed. I mean, that means you swing the ball and totally miss. You know, I was, cause I was, you know, I was like halfway through and I'm going like, <gasps> that's what you'll do in life if you don't intentionally parent your kids. You'll whiff. You'll just go into it. You'll have a basic plan. You'll kind of go at it and you won't have a real plan in what you're doing and you'll whiff. You'll just kind of like miss the point, miss the ball. And it's dangerous because the thing is, is you have this process that we to go through. And so the Bible says that we're to, the main role of a parent is to lead our children and to lead them intentionally, intentionally, not just haphazardly. And you're going like, how do I know what I'm supposed to lead them in? Well, let me share with you some examples, um, examples of how, how we led our kids. Not that we've done it perfect. But we've learned a lot over the years by trial and error. There's some things that we think are intentional that the Bible says. And if you want to read uh, later on uh, some great advice about parenting and some things about training your child, read the book of Proverbs. It tells you all kinds of information about specific things to train your child in. Tons. Just read the book of Proverbs. Spend a whole summer reading the book of Proverbs. And every time you come to say, train up in this way, underline that and put it on your list. Okay, but some of the things we found to be important over the years is, for instance, with our kids intentionally, early on, we understood that education, particularly reading, was important. So one of the things that we used to make our children do is when they were in school, we wouldn't let them watch much TV. What was our deal, Vicky? One hour of TV if they read for an hour? Was that the deal? Yeah, I remember that. You talk about rebellion. Because none of them, my friends don't do that. Well... I'm sorry, you're in our family, and you, you lost the lottery. And, <laughs> and the thing is, is we, we, but our kids, our daughter, our son, they had to read on a regular basis because we understood that reading and learning to read and appreciating reading was more important than watching SpongeBob, which wasn't around when our kids were growing up. But, you know, whatever happens to be out there. We also understood that, that, that family time and, and, uh, and focus was more important than him, this idea of like, well, they've got to experience all things to be a real well-wounded child. 
Now, we said this. Okay, we're committed to God, so church is number one. And the activities there, if you're in a children's ministry, you're involved in children's ministry. You're in youth ministry, you're involved in junior high ministry, you're senior high ministry. Whatever it is, you do not have an option. That's number one. And generally they liked it. Sometimes they didn't. They rebelled a little bit, but sometimes. But generally then, and then we said on top of that, on any season of life, you do one other thing. You don't do six other things. You do one other thing. And you focus your attention upon that. And you give it give it all you got. And if it's playing soccer, if it's playing, you know, swimming or whatever, you give your attention and time. And you can do it for a period of time. You decide after a year you don't want to do it anymore. That's fine. We'll do something else. But you're not going to do 15 things at a time. We understood the, the power of focus in their lives. And we valued that in their lives. Relationally, uh, we also did something that seems like it's counter, counterintuitive to parenting because when parents, uh, child-centered parents don't do this, God-centered parents do. And that is that we realized that the relationship between my wife and myself took precedence over, the, over our relationship with our kids. Now, I heard you heard me say that. That the most important thing that I can do for my children is to have a great relationship, me, with my spouse. And so even when our children were very, very young, I'm talking about just after they were born, we would find people. You, you, we, we were blessed in that time that we lived close to our family. And so we could, we could take our kids over. Just about every week we had a date night where Vicky and I would go somewhere together without kids. It's called sanity. <laughs> but it's also called it's good for your kids. They need some separation from you as well. They need to know there's other people they can depend upon. And so we did that in our life. And even even as a, as a young child, we would spend, like, I remember as a young child, we would take, and my, Vicky's parents are with us today, we would take uh, Kara over to their house and s- spend a whole week while Vicky and I, and I was a youth pastor, then went to camp. And my kids aren't totally messed up. It's partially, but just not, you know, but not totally messed up because of that. I don't think they're messed up at all. I think they're healthy because of that. But I say this to you that that's a, that's a, that's an intentional thing about training them. Also, I believe that there were special times you're supposed to spend with your kids, not just kind of haphazardly. One of the things early on that I would do with both our kids, my wife would do with both our kids, is that we would spend intentional time. I would take sometimes take our daughter, or I'd go by school and have lunch with kids with our kids, or I would take them on I call daddy daughter dates. I did this all the way through high school with my not every week, not every not as regular as I wished I had. But I did it sometimes, you know, when you become a teenager though, your kids don't want to do that anymore. That's all right. You do it anyway. You just do it anyway. Because I remember when I was thirteen when my daughter was thirteen years old, one day she decided and this is this is normal, I just want to let you know what's normal. Uh, my daughter told us she were can we go to the can I, me and my friends go to the mall? And we said, Not without us. And she said, well, okay, here's the rules. Now, she was setting the rules. She said, she said, you can go to the mall and you can be there with me, but you got to follow two stores behind me. You said that, Kara. I remember that. And the issue was, you know, you know, we, we set some boundaries and we did it, but we still did things with them on a regular day. I would take uh, Kara, you know, I think sometimes I remember early McDonald's was a big deal, you know, to go Blair. Keith, he liked to go before school to the donut shop. That's my boy, you know, because I love donuts. And so the thing was is that we had these things along the way. Money management. We didn't just give our kids money. We don't throw money to our kids ever. 
We trained our kids early on how to manage money. Even as a young child, five and six years old, we began the process of making them responsible for a certain amount of the resources that we would normally spend on them. And usually by the time they were 12, that was kind of our goal, by the time they were 12, they could pretty much manage their clothing their clothing expenditures, their gifts. I mean, you just name a whole, whole, whole list of stuff. People, uh, friends thought they were getting an allowance. We said, no, that's what they spend on life. See, you have to be intentional in these things. And it's countercultural because so often in culture, we just haphazardly go out parenting. And if you want to know what it says specifically about these, go once again to Proverbs and read all these different things because it talks about training them about money and training them about friends and training them about how to make the right kind of relationships and things like that. I love the story that Craig Rochelle, who's pastor of Life Church, told a few years ago. Uh, I heard it at a conference, and he told a story. He said he wished he had thought about this as a parent. It's a true story. He told about a mother who encountered one day her teenage son, who was about uh, 15, 16 years old at the time, and they had a rule in their family. You do not attend R-rated movies. Well, you're not supposed to anyway when you're under six, uh, what, 18 or something? I don't know. But the issue was that was the deal. And the kid and her son came to her and looked at, looked at mom and said, Mom... You know, I mean, there's just a little bit in that movie that's bad. The rest of it's all right. Just a little bit. And she thought about it for a moment, and she said, okay, here's the deal. You help me make brownies, and you go to the movie. And so she pulls out the brownie mix, and she starts mixing it up. And then she looks at her son, and she says, son, I want you to go out in the yard where our dog's been. And I want you to get a little baggy, and I want you to get just a little bit of dog poo. Just a little bit. And I want you to bring it in. And he looked at her like, what are you talking about? So he goes out of the yard, he does it, he brings it back, she says, oh, that's too much. And she takes a knife and slices off a little bit of dog poo. Some of you will think that's gross, but that's just life. Thought this, I wish I'd have thought of this, anyway, by the way. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And then, then, then she says, and then she takes, and she takes it, and she knew, she says, as soon as I finish this, you can lick the spoon, okay? And she takes the dog, and she drops it in the brownie mix. She stirs it up. She said, here. He said, no, that's nasty. And she said, well, it's just a little bit. It's not the whole thing. She said, now, if you want to go to the movie, you eat the brownies. (laughs) He didn't go to the movie. And he got the point. The issue is, folks, is we train our kids. We intentionally train our kids. Sometimes it takes creativity. Most of the time it just takes a, a plan where we continually say we have boundaries and we teach them that and we teach them why those boundaries are there. Because it says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. So the question I have for you today is this. Are you a child-centered parent, or are you a God-centered parent? There's a difference. There's a huge difference. And I really believe it will make a huge difference in the life of your children based on the answer to that question. Because God-centered parents understand that the goal of parenting is to transfer dependence from them to God. And the role of parenting is to train up a child and have an intentional plan of doing that that's not haphazard. 
This morning, as we conclude our service, we're going to conclude it by doing communion, the Lord's Supper. So I'd ask that our ushers that they get ready for this as well. And the band probably needs to head backstage and things like that right now. So if there's a movement, that's what's going on. But I was uh, thinking about this and, and the tying to this as well. And it was interesting that it was during the celebration of the Passover on the eve of his death that Jesus instituted a new fellowship meal that we observe to this day. And it's the highest expression of Christian worship. In a sense, it was an intentional training experience for his disciples. He was saying to them intentionally, like we should say to our children, intentionally, this is something you do, and as you do it, this is what, I, this is what it means. And he said to them, you know, as you do this, as you take the juice and you take the bread and you eat it and drink it, it remember, you're remembering what I've done for you and what I'm going to do for you in the future. And the accounts of, it's so important that, that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all reference this event, this small event that happened up in a, in a, in one upper room before Passover. And actually, most often where we read the scripture from that as we, as we go through the Lord's Supper and where we're going to focus today is in 1 Corinthians because the Apostle Paul also talks about it, but he gives instructions about the Lord's Supper. And he also gives a statement that's not included in the Gospels. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. What does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? Well, it may mean to disregard the true meaning of the bread and the cup. It may mean that uh, we forget the tremendous price our Savior paid for salvation. Or it may mean to allow the ceremony to become as kind of a ritual that you go through. But Paul said, you know, as we partake of it in this process of partaking it, we're to examine ourselves. And so this is how we're going to do it today. We're going to have some quiet time in the midst of this. I know in America we hate quiet. And all we're going to do is have the instrumentalist in a few moments to play very quietly in the background. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have the ushers to hand out the first element, the bread. And as they do so... While they're handing that out, what I want you to do is just to hold on to it when you get it. And I want you to examine yourself, which means to ask God, to seek God, and to say to God, God, here, here's who I am. Here's the things that would hinder me from taking this in a worthy matter. Whether it be I'm making this a ritual, or I have some sin in my life that I need to confess before God. Whatever the need may be, I want to spend this time examining myself and seeking uh, forgiveness from God for whatever it might be there in this process. And so once we finish that and we everybody's got the bread, then I'll read the scripture that it says what they did in scripture and then we'll partake of the bread. And then we'll hand out the cup and we'll do the same thing. There'll be a, a period of examination as well. So you've got two little periods today, this morning as we close, to examine yourself according to what scripture says as we partake of the Lord's Supper. So I'd ask that our ushers to come forward at this time. And before we partake of the Lord, uh, the bread first and then the, then the cup, uh, let us uh, let's pray to God. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.